Thank you for being here this morning. It's, um, it's an exciting time um, in Hoffmantown Church because God is doing a new thing, a good thing, a great thing, and we are here to celebrate Him and focus all of our attention and all of our heart, mind, and soul on celebrating Jesus Christ. And uh, here in a little bit, we'll be celebrating his death, burial, and resurrection uh, through communion, through the Lord's Supper. And uh, I want to, uh, this morning, lead us into that. And so our, our focus is going to be on the new covenant. And if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it to Hebrews chapter 9. Um, this message is, is a little different than, than my normal messages. I'm going to be sharing a number of passages with you. We're going to kind of walk through a little bit of the book of Hebrews, which uh, honestly, Hebrews is uh, one of my, my favorite. Actually, it's, it's, it's you know, one of the 66 favorite books of the Bible that I love, and um, and, and I love it because we're in it this morning. We're going to look at some passages in it. And what I love about Hebrews is that you cannot study the book of Hebrews in the New Testament without going way back in to the Old Testament and understanding what God did there. And uh, I, there was a time I was in a small church um, in seminary, we were volunteering and traveling quite a distance to get there, and, and we started this young adult um, Bible study class, and this church sat in, in a huge community down in the area of Euless, Texas, and uh, so I was excited. You know, I was a young seminary student, and I had a class, and we were building it, and I came out of uh, the Sunday school class one morning, and uh, uh, the, the older class who'd been there forever, uh, the teacher came out and I said, man, wasn't that a great study in the book of 1 Kings this morning? And he said, well, we really didn't get into that. And I said, you didn't? I said, why not? He said, well, we don't see that much relevance in the Old Testament. And I about, I literally about fell over. I did, I thought, I, what do you even say to that? Um, the richness of, of the, the book of the Bible is not separated it's one story from Genesis through Revelation, and it's a continuing story, and, and it builds on, on the, the teachings of the Old Testament. And so uh, when we study Hebrews, we, we have to understand you cannot isolate it. You have to go back in and look at some things. And we're not going to spend uh, very much time at all really in the Old Testament, but as we look at some of the Hebrew passages, uh, you're going to realize, I need to go back and look and see what that really says. And, and understand it better because this is where God established his covenant with his creation. And he had a covenant with Abram or with Adam. He had a covenant with Noah. He had a covenant with Abraham. Uh, he had a covenant with Moses. He had a covenant with David. And there's some sub-covenants involved in all of that. But ultimately, it was leading to a new covenant that would be realized through Jesus Christ and through his death, burial, and resurrection, which you and I get to enjoy today. 
We can look back at what Jesus did and we celebrate it and be a, can be a part of it. From the Old Testament perspective, they were looking forward to that new covenant, a different covenant that would free them up from the bondage of, of all the sacrifices and all the law and it would fulfill everything that God wanted to do through his people that he loved. And so we're going to, to just look at some passages uh, this morning that are related to that and, uh, and prepare our hearts and minds because uh, I, I, it's not in every case, but sometimes uh, I have sensed that when we do participate in celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it, it's something we're just kind of going through. It's kind of a ritual thing or maybe... Uh, maybe something we just do and it's part of the service and we don't, are not as impacted by it as we really should be. This was the greatest event in history. The greatest cre- event that God created us for that he accomplished through Christ. And we should have that, that sense of awe and wonder and celebration and, and praise for what he did that we get to be a part of and we celebrate that daily in our own lives, literally. So it's not just something we do. It's not some ritual, some ceremonial thing. It has power to it. Before I get into the passage, let me just really quick remind you of a couple things. One, uh, there are different ideas about the Lord's Supper. One is the, uh, the, the understanding of the Catholic Church, which is transubstantiation, which when the words are said over the elements, it literally becomes the body and blood of Christ, literally, physically, though the essence is still bread, the, or, or the, the physical part is still bread and wine, it es- in essence becomes the body and blood of Christ. And we don't believe that's what the Bible teaches the Lutheran Church, which I grew up in as a, as a young child, uh, believes in what's called consubstantiation, which means that when you come to the altar to partake of the elements, there's a special outpouring of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is in and through and, and, and around the giving of the ordinance. We believe, and the Bible teaches, and I absolutely believe this, that this is something that we do symbolically to remember what Jesus did on the cross and through the shedding of his blood and the giving of his body. It's a reminder. It's something that that we're supposed to embrace and remember and celebrate and be thankful for and and really, really be so grateful for what he did that we can now be a part of through faith. So it's symbolic in nature, and as we celebrate it in a little bit, I want us to understand that and that when we do celebrate it, it ought to be a reminder to us about our own relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you take the bread and you take the juice, you are giving a testimony. You're saying to everyone around you and you're saying to the Lord that I am your child I have acknowledged my sin. I have have confessed it. I have repented of my sin. I ask Jesus Christ to be the Savior and Lord of my life. I now live for him. I was bought by him through his blood. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. 
And I am testifying that, that my life is going to represent him. I am his child. That's the testimony you give when you participate in this. In fact, we used to, in our church, which was much smaller, uh, have people come forward. And I, I would tell them, when you stand and come forward, you're giving a testimony of your faith in Christ and what Jesus Christ has done in your life. So even this morning as we take it, I want you to be reminded of it. And if you're here and you're not a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, if you've never received him, if you don't know that, that uh, when you die, you're going to be with him in his kingdom, understand that what we're telling you is that testimony. This isn't really for you, and the reason it's not for you is because you cannot understand, you've not experienced salvation, the forgiveness of sin, the Holy Spirit living in you. It's kind of like talking to someone about getting married who's never been married. I can give them all the books and I can tell them how, what my life was like as, as a married person and how everybody else's life is like. But listen, they don't understand what marriage is about until they get married, right? It's a whole different thing than what you read about in books. It's the same thing. So if you're here this morning, I, I would encourage you to, to hear this message and understand that as we are participating in this, as we're taking the bread and we're taking the juice, that this is our testimony that we believe in a living Savior, a Savior who has forgiven us our sin and wiped it out from the east, as far as the east is from the west, and that that is offered to you as well this morning because Jesus died for you because he loves you. Father, I pray this morning as we look at some passages concerning the new covenant that you will help us really begin to understand and, and, and really apply these things that we learn from these passages and from the new covenant and how it impacts our life. This is not about us. This is not about our happiness. This is not about how we, how we really even need to live. This is all about what Jesus did for us so that we might be forgiven for our sin and we would have the absolute assurance of living with you in your kingdom forever. Lord, all of this was initiated by you. We didn't seek you out. You sought us out. You sought us out even back when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And through your mercy and grace, though you removed them from the garden, you provided for them, and you began to establish a covenant. And you've carried that on through the people of Israel and you fulfilled all of that in Jesus Christ. And so now we proclaim him and we live for him and we have hope through him. Help us this morning as we look at these passages and I pray that you'll be glorified in what we do for I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. In Hebrews chapter nine, beginning in verse 11, um, we will, uh, I'll read this passage and then we're going to a look at some other passages related to that um, as well. So let's begin. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. 
The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Now, if you just went through that part and started underlining and highlighting things and made a list of them, that would be sufficient to help us understand what Jesus did and how we need to live. Look at verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed, under the first covenant. Well, there's a couple of things that, that I want to emphasize here. And one is um, the importance of the, uh, the Old Testament covenants. There's, there's an importance in those. In fact, it was God who sought them out. They, it's not that they did something wonderful and they were a special people or a perfect people, but God in his sovereignty chose Abram to be the father of a great nation. And through Abram, he made a covenant with him and said that your generations will be as the stars in the heavens. After Abram, there came a Moses, and Moses was the lawgiver. And God made a covenant with him, and he established in him the Ten Commandments, the laws, the priesthood. He established all that sense of worship. God reached out and brought them to him and confirmed that covenant agreement with him. Certainly there, and I left out Noah, and we can't leave out Noah because if we did, we wouldn't be here anyway because we all would have been drowned in the flood. But he did have a covenant with Noah as well. And you know the rainbow, you know the story about that, how God redeemed Noah and his family. Again, this is part of a, a thread that God has run from the time of uh, Adam and Eve all the way through, a, a thread of redemption, kind of a scarlet thread where God has sought to reach out to those that he created that he might have a relationship with them. And it's through that relationship that he ultimately brings Jesus down for us to be saved through him, to have an even greater relationship than what they would have had before. Again, all of this isn't just based on the, wall, on the law because we understand that Abraham was justified by faith just as we're justified by faith today. But then there's a, some prophecies that go along with this. And, and the key one that relates really to the book of Hebrews and, and to what we're talking about this morning is found in uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, beginning in verse 31. And this is what it says. He said, through the prophet Jeremiah, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel that at that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. So as we look at this, we understand that it's not that God uh, did a remake of the old covenant, but he did a brand new thing. 
It is a new covenant established through Jesus Christ. Now, when we look at the Gospels, and the Gospels specifically related to the Lord's Supper service or the Lord's Supper that evening that Jesus was betrayed, in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 26, the Scripture says that while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, "'Take and eat, this is my body.'" Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant. Now, the term new isn't there, but it's implied, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin, of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now in Mark 14, 24, again, we see that it says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out. But in Luke 22, 20, in that same uh, scenario, in that same uh, Lord's Supper service, Luke does have the term new. It says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So it's, it's not a remake. It's not a revamp. It's a whole new thing that God did. So certainly associated with the old covenant, but this is a whole new thing for them. And if you think about the disciples and all of a sudden everything that they'd been taught and everything they'd experienced and all the, the, the prophets and the laws that they had learned from, uh, now Jesus is saying, I'm doing something brand new. He's not discarding everything that happened in the past because in Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, I came to fulfill all the law and the prophets. So everything from the old covenant was fulfilled through Christ. Why is that so relevant to us? Because often we want to go back and just like the Jews. Remember, the book of Hebrews was written to those who were, were Jews and Jewish Christians. And, and, and they were wanting to go back into the law. And they were wanting to live by the law. And kind of integrated into their life. Instead of just trusting in Christ. And sometimes we get caught up in that as well when we start making checklists and we start making uh, things uh, saying, well, I, I, uh, we have to do it this way. We can't do it that way uh, because we're looking at things. And if you're going to take part of the law, you have to take all of it. And if Jesus Christ fulfilled all the law, then you, you only follow him and understand that all the law was fulfilled in him. Uh, we were at a, a Seder dinner one night um, and there was the reason why we're there. It was the end of a class. And I was talking with a lady, and, and I loved her enthusiasm. She said she was a Messianic Christian, and, and I loved uh, talking to her. And we got into this conversation um, during the dinner, which meant that in this conversation, I, I didn't get a chance to really participate in anything else. Uh, and the reason I didn't was because she was telling me that she was so unhappy with the church because the church wasn't celebrating the festivals and the feast days of the Old Testament. And I said, well, you know, Jesus fulfilled everything. It's not that maybe we don't celebrate them, but we certainly study them. We understand them. We know why they're there. Uh, you know, we, we embrace them, but we don't celebrate them on a yearly basis. We don't sit down and do all the things that they do. I said, do you follow the dietary laws of the Old Testament? Do you follow the, the tithing laws of the Old Testament? Because if you're going to really focus on one set of the laws and, and say that those are important and we have to do them, then you have to do all of the law. Jesus took care of that for us. 
Jesus paid the price for our sin. He fulfilled everything in the law. So now we live by faith through grace. And certainly our lifestyle should reflect everything that Jesus has taught us and that the scripture teaches us. But, but we're not under the law anymore through Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, the Apostle Paul talks about the Lord's Supper service. And we want to know with the, the church at Corinth, out of all the other issues they had, this was an issue. You wouldn't think it would be, but it was. Some were coming early and drinking all the wine and getting drunk and eating all the food. They made it a fellowship dinner, not a Lord's Supper service. We're good at fellowship dinners. <laughs> We're too good at fellowship dinners. So listen, what, what Paul writes to them in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning of verse 23, Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, there's a number of things in there that if we were to break them out, uh, we, we, could, we could spend some time in that. But it's a Thanksgiving meal. It's a memorial meal. It's a time of celebration of what Jesus Christ did. And he's trying to bring them back to understand that this isn't about you. This is all about him. And what he has done for us. Now let's look back at Hebrews. And I want to walk through, uh, beginning in chapter 5, I'm just going to give you some overview leading up to chapter 9 of Hebrews. And, uh, and we're really not going to be here all day doing this, I, I promise. Um, or we'd need more of this candy um, to keep us going, which I think is a great thing. I encourage you to, to do that. In chapter 5, God begins to focus on the importance and the impotence of the earthly priesthood. He gives us the history beginning with Aaron as one chosen by God. The priest was God's spokesperson uh, he, for God's people. He was responsible for the teaching of the word of God, the leading in worship, the sacrificing of animals, and the blessing of the people. The high priest had to make sacrifice for the people as well as for himself. Chapter 5 kind of begins to lay that foundation on understanding of what was taking place and why the new covenant was so necessary and would ultimately become so important. In chapter 6, he focuses on, the writer does, on God's expectation of growth and understanding for those who know Christ and a reassurance of God's promise to Abraham. Chapter 6 is a very interesting chapter, by the way. And I love what it says in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, because I find myself here sometimes, and I certainly find uh, things like this when, when we're starting to teach um, people that um, you kind of have an expectation of have grown some. But look what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary things about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do also. He's saying, listen, you need to be growing and leave, leave those things behind and start growing in Christ. 
He says also in chapter 6, verse 19, he says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And, and just a, a, a note, uh, if you want an, an exciting study, do a study on Melchizedek, the high priest of God, who was the high priest of Salem long before the law was given. And after Abram had gone out and, and uh, really uh, um, saved Lot from destruction and his family from three kings where uh, they had taken Sodom and the people of Sodom and, and, and taken them captive, Abram went with his men and went out and brought them back and was met by Melchizedek, the high priest of Salem which is the early Jerusalem in in, uh, Genesis. And he gave a tithe to him. And it talks about Melchizedek having no beginning and no end and and being the high priest of God. And there's such tremendous reference there to how he relates to Jesus Christ and now being referenced with Jesus Christ as the high priest. Chapter 7 then goes on to focus on Melchizedek, the high priest of God, who did meet Abraham. And Hebrews makes the point that Jesus is even greater than Melchizedek in fulfilling and being the ultimate high priest. In fact, all of Hebrews helps us understand about the superiority of Jesus Christ over everything that was, had taken place in the Old Testament and those who were in the Old Testament, uh, the, the priests and everyone else. And even the angels, because that's how it kind of begins. In chapter 8, begins to focus on the new covenant. In verses 3 through 7, it says, Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already men who offer gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy, a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator. Is superior to the old one and is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. What was wrong with the old covenant? It could never bridge the gap between man and God. There were high priests there to represent the people. The people could only go so far. They had to have sacrifices and follow the festivals and and be obedient to the law. Only the high priest could go into the, the holy of holies and make sacrifice not only for them but for himself as well. There was still a gap between them. Under the new covenant, there's no gap. In fact, when you think about it, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave as our ultimate high priest, who didn't shed blood from goats and calves, but shed his own blood, he was sinless where the Old Testament priests were sinners. He put all of them out of work. I was thinking about that. What, did they, what were they to do at this point? We just unemployed a whole lot of people because of what Jesus did on the cross and and took care of the temple. 
And we understand not only that, but, but it was evident when the temple itself was destroyed in A.D. 70. And since then, there has been no temple. There has been no uh, priestly sacrifices. There has been no atoning through the temple anymore. Because what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient in paying the price for our sin. That's the new covenant. That's what we should be excited about. That's what Jesus did for us so that we wouldn't have to be uh, operating under the old covenant. He set us free. He set the Jews free. And he fulfilled the prophecy of the Old Testament. In chapters 8 and 9, we have the central teaching of that new covenant as well. And we can only imagine how difficult that might have been for the readers uh, who were reading this and trying to comprehend what was going on. And, uh, and then he goes into uh, to chapter 8, verse 13, where he talks about the, the new covenant is new and the old one had become obsolete. In chapter 9, in the verses we, that we just read when we began... It talks about how Jesus came as the high priest of good things that are already here. He went through the greater, more perfect tabernacle that is not made, that is not man-made, not part of this creation. The importance of the old covenant is, is real. We need to understand its importance. We need to study that and see how God related to his people. But there's also... Uh, there's also um, an impact from that. And the impact was that God took them from a, a law-based relationship to a grace-based relationship through Jesus Christ. And the implication is what you and I enjoy today. Under the old covenant, it was a law of works. Under the new, it's the law of faith. Under the old, it was bondage. Under the new, it's freedom. Under the old, it was a shadow of the earthly. Under the new, it was true, the true form. Under the old, it was it remembered sin. It was never taken away of completely. But under the new, sin is forgotten as far as the east is from the west. Under the old, there were many sacrifices. Under the new, there's one sacrifice. Under the old, it was a temporary priest. Under the new, it's one eternal priest through Jesus Christ. Under the old, it was the blood of goats and calves. Under the new, it was the blood of Jesus Christ. Under the old, it was imperfect. Under the new, uh, it was a sinless mediator. And under the old, there was not the redemption as there is under the new through Jesus Christ. It's important to look at how God related to his creation. He is the creator and the sustainer and the redeemer of life. And God has loved us so much that he began with a people and he gave them the laws, but the laws were not there to perfect them. The laws were there to help them understand how sinful they were and how impossible it would be for them to meet every aspect of the law. He also instituted through these covenants the law of sealing that covenant with the blood of, of goats and lambs. But through Jesus Christ, through the fulfillment of, of his coming, the sinless Lamb of God, who shed his blood willingly on the cross to pay the price that you and I could never pay ourselves. That's the new covenant. And there, it is so rich to understand what God has done out of his great love for us. 
It was prophesied by Jeremiah and others. It was accomplished through Jesus Christ, and it is received by God's grace through faith today. There is a lot in here that there's no way we could have covered this morning, but I wanted to give you a brief summary of the difference between the two and just how important it is for us to recognize that when Jesus made that statement in the upper room, this is my covenant. This is a new covenant. This is a new relationship. You don't have to go through man anymore. There's no man on earth that you have to go through to get to me. I am the high priest. And through faith in me, you become part of the priesthood. We don't need an earthly temple. We have a heavenly temple. We don't need an earthly home. We have a heavenly home. We don't need all the sacrifices because the one sacrifice has been made. And for you and I, who once were sinners, lost in this world without hope, that new covenant, that new promise, that sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the only thing through the only one who could bring us into the actual presence of the Father. When I, I think about the implications of what that has done for us, and I think about the implications had he not done that for us, it certainly humbles me. And it should break us because what Jesus did, he did because of our sin. He did for us. He took our sin upon himself. And he paid that price. They didn't take his life. He gave his life. And he gave it willingly so that you and I could have a personal relationship with our creator, our sustainer, and our redeemer of life. So I say all of this to help us understand that, that there's much more to observing a communion service or a Lord's Supper service. When you take these elements, you are literally saying, I have trusted Christ as my Savior. He forget, has forgiven me of my sin. I have a new hope. I have, I have an eternal life with him. And my response is not that of a legal response. Oh, did I, I respond to him out of fear? But I respond to him out of love that my life would reflect him in a way that the world would see the great sacrifice that was made on my behalf. You see, it's a love relationship. A parent can kind of put fear into a child or intimidate a child to the point where a child might say that they love them out of fear. And you might get the little card and you might get the little picture on the refrigerator because they're, they're more afraid of what happens if they don't do those things. They just think they ought to. But when you have a child come to you out of love and they respond to you in love and they demonstrate that love, that's a whole different experience. And God isn't looking for us to respond to him out of fear because all fear is gone. There's no fear in love, the Bible says. He's looking for us to respond to him in love. And love says that I, I, will, I have surrendered my life to you, Lord. 
And I want to show you how much I love you by how I live for you and how I testify of you and how I take that which you've given to me and share it with the rest of the world. Because of what you've done in my life, my desire is that you would do that in the lives of others. It's so much more. So as we go to a time of prayer here this morning and prepare our hearts, um, I want you to remember there's so much more to observing the Lord's Supper than taking a little bit of juice and a little cracker. It should impact us. We should go back and be reminded of what Jesus did on the cross for me personally, for you personally, that we respond to him in love and thanksgiving and praise so that when we leave this place today, if God has spoken to our hearts, if he has convicted us, if there's something in our life that isn't honoring him right now as we go to prayer, we can confess that and know he will forgive us. And we can, we can walk out of here with a new focus, a new desire to live our life for him. Let's pray. Father, as we have looked just briefly at some of these passages, talking about the new covenant and the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us, I pray that you will help us deeply remember to look at all that you did out of your love for us, what Jesus did for us on the cross, and that we are free, free indeed through faith in him, that we have living water. He is the bread of life. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he came here to reconcile us to you. And he has given us a ministry of reconciliation that we can share that good news with other people. So as we, as we prepare our hearts, Lord, if there's something in our lives, in our hearts, that we need to deal with right now, let us confess that. And let us ask your forgiveness. And Lord, for someone who is here this morning that, that needs to pray and, and put their trust in you as Savior and Lord, I just pray that you'll draw them to you, Lord. You're, you're always reaching out. You're always seeking us out. You're seeking them out this morning. Draw them by your love, by the power of your spirit. And if you sense God drawing you this morning, would you just simply pray and acknowledge your sin? The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Desire to turn from your way of doing things and follow him. That's repentance. I, I don't want to live my life my way. I want to live it for him. And pray in your heart, God, I believe that what Jesus did on the cross, I believe he died. I believe he rose again. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Give me eternal life. Fill me with your spirit and let me live the rest of my life for you. Take just a couple of quiet moments right now and pray and then we'll move into our time of sharing and participating in the Lord's Supper service.
Lord, we love you and we thank you that we are here today as a body of believers to celebrate you through Jesus Christ. We pray you'll be honored and glorified as we participate in this Lord's Supper service now. We give this to you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.